Um, this morning we're starting a, a new series. That was a video that was, um, that was produced out of uh, our mother church, uh, Mosaic LA. It's hard to believe that when we did video editing not too long ago, it was the two VHS tapes. You know, had to hit play, hit record. And, uh, well, we're starting a new series, though. We're called uh, Elements. And, um, and I, you have to forgive me. I'm going to do my best not to hawk a lung into the microphone this morning, but I'm kind of feeling under the weather. I've been kind of sick. Um, that is a literary preaching device called lowering the bar of expectation. <laughs> See how I did that? But uh, when you enter into a, uh, into a new culture um, and a new community that you're not familiar with, it can be hard to, uh, initially to really understand um, why people do some of the things they do. And it's, it's not very much unlike, uh, you know, going over to somebody else's house for a holiday. And, uh, you know, growing up, you have all these norms and traditions and rhythms that become uh, normal to you that aren't normal to them. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been married, I remember when Megan and I got married, um, there, it's, it's one of the reasons that in-laws are, are such like this breeding ground for conflict is that you bring what you think is normal, and then your spouse brings their family life that they think is normal, and you've got to kind of figure out normal. And uh, my family is very loud. Um, we're kind of like the Griswolds, where it's just holidays are chaos. And uh, we would have the music cranked up loud at Christmas, and there'd be multiple televisions on, and kids are running everywhere, and there's like kind of an impromptu Nerf war going on, and people are shouting over each other. You know, you never turn down the volume. You just raise the volume of your voice. And uh, you dig into presents, and it, it was, that was normal. But when we got married, um, we would do Christmas Eve at my parents' house, and it was loud, it was chaos, it was exciting. For me, it was normal, I loved it. And then the next morning, we'd do Christmas uh, at my in-laws' house, and there's no music, TVs were off, and all I heard was crickets, and just silence. You know, it was like this very calm atmosphere that made me so incredibly uncomfortable. And, and the presents were different, too, you know. At our house, uh, like, like stockings were something, were like a Christmas unto themselves. And my mom, like her love language is gifts. And so she saves for Christmas all year long. And like she loves doing stockings. It's like this whole like tradition of like gathering around and doing stockings separate. And she would, there was like, she'd leave hints in the stockings for presents that were coming later. You know, so she would like, she'd have certain like, uh, there might be ammunition for like, some big Nerf gun, you know, that's wrapped somewhere else in the house. Or, or there was, uh, you know, we get like remote control cars and Ninja Turtles. And, you know, you just never knew what it was going to be. It was always something very creative, very fun. Uh, when I got married, uh, my in-laws are not like that at all. They do stockings, but they're, they're just like gift cards, you know, because they don't really like going out and getting presents. They're like, well, you're probably not going to like what we buy anyway, so we'll give you gift cards. And the things that are in there are very practical. So you'd, I, I got used to opening like duct tape. And, and batteries, and a toothbrush. I get a toothbrush every year, you know, and, and gift cards. And so initially, you know, like there's this feeling of like kind of conflict, like this isn't right, you know. But the reality is there's not necessarily right and wrong. There's just, there's different, and it can feel right. It can feel wrong. And so when you enter into a community that, that's new and, and that you don't really get, sometimes it can be hard to understand why things are the way they are. And, uh, and that's why for the next several weeks, we're going to be digging into um, and exploring our core values as a community, uh, the core values that drive us, um, because they are, in many ways, they shape the decisions that we make. And so, you know, if you are a guest with us, uh, you're really going to kind of get to get an inside look at, at Mosaic. You're going to get to, in a sense, peel back the layers and, and see the heart behind what we do. 
And so this morning we're jumping in with, with our very first core value. And our very first core value is very different than the other core values in the sense that it shapes everything that we do as a community. And it shapes all the other core values. And without this particular core value, everything else kind of falls apart. And, th- and that first core value is mission is why the church exists. Mission is why the church exists. In the very first line of the scriptures, when you open up the Bible to the book of Genesis, it talks about how the wind is brooding over the water. The wind, the spirit of God. It's the word ruach, and spirit, wind, breath. Numa in the New Testament. Wind, spirit, breath. And so there's this beautiful resonance in the scriptures that speak to who God is and the dynamics of his character expressed through the elements which we're using as, as a metaphor. In fact, the Bible says that God is a consuming fire, that God is a consuming fire. It doesn't say that God created a consuming fire. It doesn't say that God brought about a consuming fire. It says that God is a consuming fire. So this morning, as we talk about our first core value, our metaphors, is this, this metaphor of wind, this imagery of wind, breath, spirit. To put it in a, in a simpler, less philosophical, ethereal language, in very concrete terms, um, mission is why the church exists is just another way of saying it's all about people. It has always been about people. It will always be about people. It is all about people. It is all about the other. And so if you're here, if you're on the inside, if you count yourself as a part of this community, then you are always about the other person outside of the group longing for community. Because what we find in the scriptures is that God is always extending himself, always. He is always pressing outward, pushing to the edges. He's always earnestly, proactively, compassionately, even urgently pursuing every human being on the planet. And so there's no way that you can be connected to what God is doing and be all about yourself. There's no way. It's always about others. So this morning, I want to open up a passage uh, in the scriptures in John chapter 3. And and as a part of this passage is a verse that pretty much all of us are very, uh, probably very familiar with. It's the most famous verse in the Bible, arguably. But perhaps you haven't looked at the context that leads up uh, to John 3.16. So starting in John 3, if you have a Bible, if you have your YouVersion app, uh, we're going to John 3, verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes. And though you hear its sound, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so Nicodemus, this religious expert, comes to Jesus, and, and he's per- perplexed. You know, he, he's intrigued by the teachings of, of Jesus, but at the same time, he's unnerved by him. He spent most of his life engulfed in religious, religious duty, and yet he does not understand. He has studied the scriptures fervently, and yet when his scholarly pursuit of God met real life, there's this, there's this disconnect. He, he's gone through the religious motions his entire life, and yet he fails to fully recognize the movement of God, the wind of God, when it is amongst him. Like so many of his day, he knew the right answers uh, until the realization of those answers stood before him. And so he, he knew the language and the religious duty, but when it came to fleshing out what he believed, he was clueless. And so he comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want people to actually know that he has questions, right? Because he's supposed to be the one with the answers. So he comes to Jesus at, at night and he says, look, I know that you're good, and I know that there's something extraordinary happening here, but I don't get it. And so Jesus presses into him and, and, and begins to engage in this, this kind of battling of, of questions. And Jesus says, look, I tell you the truth. No one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And, of course, Nicodemus, and I love Nicodemus, he asks the important question. Look, I, I don't get it. How, how, can I, how can I enter again into my mother's womb? So I love Nicodemus. He's a very concrete guy. He's like, physically, I can't figure out how this is possible. How do I enter into my mother's womb? I think uh, Jesus is using a metaphor here, Nicodemus. Um, and Jesus presses into him, you know, and, and he said, he's just not letting up. He says, you better figure this out. Because if you can't figure out what it means to be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, let alone enter into it. And then Jesus begins to unwrap for him this metaphor a little more. And he says, look, some people are, are born of water. In fact, we are all born of water, right? When a, when a child is being birthed, the water breaks, and it's a sign of new life entering into the world. All are born of water. But then he says, oh, and by the way, there's also the Spirit, and you need to be baptized and born of the Spirit. There's something, there's something else going on inside of your soul that is so much bigger uh, than yourself. There's so much, something so much bigger that is, that is going on beyond you. And I love Jesus' description. You know, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus is confused, and Jesus says, look, just think about the wind. Think about the wind. It it blows from, well, who knows? You know, coming from one direction, and it goes another direction. Who can predict where it is coming from or where it is going? Sometimes it comes as a, a hurricane wind. Sometimes it comes as a cool breeze. Sometimes it, it shows itself as a, a tornado or a tsunami. Sometimes it brings refreshment in the middle of a hot, scorching day. Who can understand the wind? And so he's saying that this is, this is the way. This is the way that God works. He meets us uniquely in our different moments in life, in our unique journey. And then he calls us as children of the wind to be a part of that in the lives of others. So what Jesus is saying is telling us that as God's sons and daughters, we are now a people of the wind, he's telling us that if we are connected to him, we are moving with God as he reaches out to touch humanity. You know, when we uh, moved back to Lincoln here just, just over a year ago, um, it, was, it was a really fun time, but a really crazy time. 
uh, because we had, you know, this, this, this vision that got a place in our hearts to start uh, this community. Um, but you're kind of starting out alone. And, and we had relationships with some people, you know, we were originally from Lincoln and had done ministry here. And so, and so that was great, but we're still kind of recruiting people into it. And, and when we got here, we just kind of met with anybody, anybody who had, like, let us share uh, about this, this vision that got in place on our hearts. Um, but it's, it's kind of this precarious time, you know, because uh, in the one sense, like, you're just hoping and praying that God sends you anybody, you know, like, you just don't want to be the only crazy person who talks about, like, this church that doesn't exist and these people that you don't know who they are and this, this building you don't know where you're going to meet, and so you just don't want to be crazy, you know. So you're just praying that God brings somebody to, to buy in and be a part of it. And uh, so we started, you know, meeting with people, but the other side of that is, is you know, you've got to be careful because when there's just a handful of you, adding one person to the group, like, completely changes the culture and, and adding the wrong person to the group, somebody who's maybe selfish or angry or bitter or kind of attacks other people could scare away all the right people. And, and so, we, you know, we sat down and, and started meeting with his people, and, and I just kind of prayerfully asked, you know, some questions, and I would just listen to their story and, and, and ask them, just, you know, why in the world would you want to be a part of a new church in the first place? And, uh, and I have to tell you, it was um, very uh, astonishing um, and shocking, some of the answers that, that we got along the way. Um, every now and then you'd have a conversation with somebody and they would begin to share about uh, somebody they knew uh, who, who's really struggling. Uh, you know, and they would talk about there's no community for them, there's no church for them. I want that. I want to be a part of that. You know, every once in a while you, you'd talk to somebody and they'd be like, I want to be a part of something that makes a difference in the world. I want to be a part of something that, that serves our city, that, that impacts lives. And every now and then you get something like that, but for the most part, I have to tell you, most of the answers uh, were something like, you know, we're just kind of unhappy with the church that we're at. Um, we don't really like the, the music style. You know, we're thinking something a little bit more alternative rock-ish, you know. Or, or you hear, you know, something like, you know, we'd really like something that's a little bit cooler for our kids. You know, we want something, you know, family first, which is not a biblical idea, but they'd say it anyway, you know, family first, we want a better kids program. Or, or they'd say something like, you know, something was said to my wife once, and I really didn't like that. And we've kind of been looking for somewhere else to go ever since, you know. Or, um, you know, we really don't care for our, our pastor's preaching style or his leadership style. Or, and and they'd, they'd start listing off these things, and, and then it would just strike me. It's like, oh, you still think the church is about you. You still think that. Like, like, you're shopping for a church? Like, you shop for jeans? You know, and, and, and I'd try to very subtly encourage them, like, please stay where you are. <laughs> you know, I mean, please serve. Be a part of the solution. You know, don't, if you look for the perfect church, you're going to be disappointed for the rest of your life. Serve, give, be a part of making a difference, but please don't go shopping. We don't have anything to offer. I would say, you know, the only thing I can offer is a cause to come and die for. And that usually turned them off, you know. But it, it was disconcerting. It was, it was embarrassed to, embarrassing, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, have you, ever, have you ever stepped back and think about, I think part of it is, have you ever th- stepped back and think about just how narcissistic uh, sometimes our understanding of the gospel can be? Um, it, so, it, sometimes it, it typically goes something like this. For God so loved me, uh, that he couldn't stand to be without me. 
Um, so he sent his son to die for me so that I could have a life, a good life, so that I could go to heaven, uh, so that he would answer my prayers and begin to move in my life in all the ways that I want. You hear how selfish that sounds. It's a, it's a very small vision for somebody's life. It's a very narcissistic, self-serving vision. And you ask, you know, kind of press into it, well, what now? Well, now I, I go to a church every week, um, read my Bible every now and then, and, and I ask God for the things that I want and think I need. It's like, really? Is, is, that, is that really what the gospel is? I mean, there's some that, but I think somehow intrinsically we know that that can't possibly be the whole story because when I look at the lives of most Christians, I see lives that are ruled oftentimes by, by shame and guilt and doubt and fear. Some that are, that are striving to serve God apparently to try to appease him. It's not out of joy and, and generosity and love, but out of this shaming guilt, some like trying to earn his love. Something the gospel tells us only leads to death. You know, so the gospel begins, and there's some truth here, and I need to clarify, there's some truth to this, right? We talked a couple weeks ago about this, that, that the gospel begins with this acknowledgement that, that we bring nothing to God, right? We, we bring nothing to the table. Apart from God, we are completely dead. We don't, God doesn't owe us anything, but in his love and his grace, we can find forgiveness. And so, in a sense, there, there is this truth that, that Jesus did die on a cross for you, right? So don't get me wrong on that. He bled out on a cross because he'd rather die to be without you. And understanding that is essential to understanding the full gospel. As for some of you, you're not there yet, and that's where your story begins. For some of you, God has never been a real reality in your life, and you've never turned your life over to him. And for you, that's where the story begins. But if that is the whole gospel that you've ever heard, uh, I need to apologize to you because that's not the whole story, right? Because... Although Jesus did die for you, he didn't just die for you, right? Because he died for you, and you, and you, and her, and him, and them, right? And the Starbucks barista who makes my coffee every morning, right? And, and, and my neighbor whose dog jumps over the fence and poops in my yard all the time, right? And uh, the gal who begs my groceries, Right, and my atheist buddy that I play volleyball with every Sunday night. And the guy who held his family hostage down the street here this last week before taking his own life. But Jesus died on the cross, not just for us, but for us. And he invites us into this, this movement of redemption. He died so that they might have a chance at life too. And so being called into the movement of Jesus is not just this narcissistic, self-serving thing where we accept his forgiveness and then sit tight and do nothing with our lives, but it is a call to live the most heroic life possible. Listen, there's, there's, there's brokenness all throughout this city. There's brokenness and death all around, even in Lincoln, Nebraska. And if you don't believe it, you need to get out more and start asking questions and build relationships with people. Because if you ask closely enough, they'll tell you that they're hurting if you stick around long enough to show them that you actually care. You know, there are people in your family at your office, on your block, that desperately need the work of God in their life. And as God's people, we're called to bring that light of the gospel into the darkest corners and areas of our city. The love of God is something that must be personally experienced. Yes, that's where the gospel begins. But then it's something that must be personally shared. And that's where the gospel moves. 
You know, and I know for some of you, you've heard this a number of times. This is not new information for you, and so you've, some of you have already shut off. You're like, all right, yeah, get on to the next thing. I've heard this before. And, and, and if we were to sit down, you know, you could tell me all about all the passages of Scripture that, that call us to be ambassadors of Christ, that calls us to be administers of God's grace. You could tell me all about what it means to be commissioned as God's people to go out and make disciples, share with them the good news, to be salt and light in the world, right? To always have an answer for those who need to hear about Jesus Christ and how much he loves them. Right, to be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth, to live generously towards those who need, to live lives marked by compassion and love, to be God's hands and feet in a world that is dying without him, to lay down our lives for others. But I think very much like Nicodemus, some of us have known the right answers for a very long time, and we've known this missional call in our life to lay down our lives for the good of others. But perhaps up until now, it's just been head knowledge. You know, the, the, the church is this weird place. Sometimes it feels like the church is like this alternate reality. You know, like the twilight zone where we can talk about things like week after week and we never really have to do them, and that's totally fine. Right? And we come like week after week and we'll smile and shake hands. We'll come in, we'll sing some songs, we'll sit down and listen to a geek up front and talk to us. Well-meaning geek, but, you know, a geek nonetheless. And we'll hear all these things and then we can walk out the door and completely let our lives be unchanged. And I think... The world looks on, and they look at our lives and are like, yeah, it's a joke. Of course, why in the world would I want to go and be a part of that? It's hard. I mean, it's hard for me, to be honest with you, because in no other sphere of life can we talk about something over and over and over and over again and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that, but never actually have to prove it, never actually have to put it into action. You know, I've got two beautiful daughters. I love my girls, Paige and Chloe, and... Uh, and, you know, they're definitely both at that age where they're pushing the limits and, and you know, trying to test, like, what they can get away with. And um, they're still a little young now, and they'll, they'll help clean up a little bit. But imagine, if you would, like, a couple of few years from now, uh, you know, I ask Paige to go clean her room. You know, I just tell her, Paige, you need to go clean your room. Don't come see me until you're done. And a couple hours, imagine she comes back to me and she says, Hey, Dad, I memorized what you said. Uh, I can quote it verbatim in the Greek, actually. Uh, do you think I'm going to be happy, honestly? I mean, no, I'm going to be like, that's great. Now go clean your freaking room. You know, but we do it all the time. Imagine a couple hours later, she comes back again. She's like, hey, Dad, um, you know, I kind of reflected on what you said a little bit more, and I'm going to have some friends over later, and we're going to do a study on what it would look like if I was to clean my room. And it's going to be a five-week study. Here's the notes. It's going to be powerful. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't fly. You know, I wouldn't be happy. And yet it feels like, sometimes it feels like that's what we're doing. Coming to, I mean, sometimes, I mean, I haven't had this sense yet here, but I've been a part of churches where sometimes it's like, you know what, he just needs to come back and give that sermon again next week because it didn't make an impact. You know, he said all the right things, but I, I'm looking around, it's like, do we really believe that? Like, are we actually putting that in action? Like, maybe you just come back, just keep giving it the same message, you know, until we actually get it. Um, it, dri <laughs> it drives me nuts, to be honest. And, and somehow, you know, someday uh, we're going to stand before God, and the, and the brutal thing, the thing that I don't really want to say, but I'm going to say it because I need to say it, is that someday we're going to stand before God, and good intentions aren't going to matter. You know, he's going to stand, he's going to ask us, did you, did you believe me? Did you believe me? Did you respond? 
Did you go out and share this message of love and compassion? Were you my hands and feet in a world that desperately needs to know how much I love them? Or did you play church? See, there's, a, there's this word in the scriptures called ekklesia, and uh, it's the Greek word uh, for church, and it literally means the called out ones. And, and for most of my life growing up, like, it made sense to me because, you know, we were doing our kind of religious thing over here and everybody else was doing their life over here. And, it, and we were called out, all right? We were called out away from the world and, and called to this life of, of isolation, doing our religious duty. And, and it's totally backwards from what that, that term means. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus prayed, G- God, I, I pray that you would not take my people out of the world pray that you would not take them from this world, but that you'd protect them from the evil one. And and for most of my life growing up, I felt like most of the people around me were praying, like watching Left Behind series and praying for God to do exactly that, take us out of this world, right? It doesn't doesn't mean called out, but called out. We're the called out ones, called out of a life of self-indulgence and into servanthood, right? Called out of narcissism and into compassion, called out of the exclusive and into the inclusive, called out of ourself and into the world. See, our first core value is mission is why the church exists because that, this is why God established the church. It's not incidental that after Jesus is, is speaking to Nicodemus uh, about how the, the Spirit of God moves over the earth like the wind, that we're told in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He's trying to help us see the, the missional movement of God, that he cares so much about humanity that he is constantly pursuing us with his love, with his grace, for God so loved the world. This is God's motivational core. And we will never understand, we'll never understand what God's about. We'll never be the church God longs for us to be if our motivation is not love, if our lives are not characterized I love for other people. That is the call of the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is God's driving motivation in humanity. And this is what will always drive us at Mosaic. And you know, we'll make a lot of mistakes and we will take risks in order to, in order to meet people where they're at, in order to, to meet them in the moments of their greatest needs. But our motivation will always be this love and compassion of the Father. You know, every now and then, uh, I'll have somebody ask me the question. They'll ask me, you know, Aaron, how do you plan to keep Mosaic small enough so as to, to not lose what makes it so valuable? Actually, right right before the service, we were talking about that, and, and somebody basically asked kind of a similar question. You know, like, you know, oh, shoot, you're about to two services. You don't want to move to two services because then it kind of takes away what's what's happening here, you know? So so how do you plan to keep it small? And And my response is always like, I don't. Like, honestly, like, how... How can we be faithful to the Great Commission? If, if we, see, if this exists for us, then I understand. Like, if this exists for us, I understand. Like, I love that we feel connected to one another, that people love being together. I love that when we come on Sunday morning, like, we're small enough that we can, you can pretty much know most everybody if you want to. Like, I love that. And if it's about us, let's keep it small, manageable, tight-knit family. But if it's not about us, well, then we need to be constantly reaching out. Like, if it is about the people all around us in our lives who desperately need God's healing touch, his healing, his freedom, his life in their life, well, then we have got to be about impact, right? We've got to be about reaching outside of ourselves. And if we are faithful to the Great Commission to go out to make disciples, to be God's hands and feet in the world, then maybe not fast, 
maybe not quickly, but slowly, growth is absolutely inevitable. And far be it from us to slow down what God wants to do in this world and in this city through his people. See, for us, uh, one, of the reason, one of the ways that this uh, works itself out for us is, is we are just, we're committed to not being about us, which means strategically we have to make decisions um, that are constantly kind of forcing us out of our comfort zone to serve other people. And, and so one of those things, you know, is, is 10% of our budget as a church goes to multiplying this and goes to other church plants. We don't touch that money. We don't spend that money. We don't see that money. That money goes to other churches. And part of our commitment as a church is, is you know, it's, We've said it before, and we'll say it again. It's not about having the biggest steeple in town. Um, we don't have steeple envy. Um, you know, it's, it's not about having the best church in town. Uh, we're about serving this city. And the reality is it takes all different kinds of churches to reach all different kinds of people. And so we want to be about multiplying this. You know, there's different areas in the city that needs missional churches. Um, I don't think you can have enough. If churches exist to serve our city and to love people well, I don't think you can have too many of them, Right. Um, it's funny when people like, some people have just this bad taste in their mouth against like big church, and they equate big with, with negative. Uh, but we don't have that feeling towards other organizations. You never like, you never hear somebody say, you know, well, the Peace Corps is just getting too big. Too many volunteers, you know, it's bad news, we need to slow this thing down. You know, you never, you one campaign, we've got too many people giving money through the one campaign. We have too many orphanages being built through World Vision. We need to slow this down. Too many organizations, right, that are curbing and, and, and serving in, in countries that are being ravished by preventable diseases. Like, too much of that going on. We never think that way, but in the church, we think that way. And I think part of it is because we've ha- had so many bad experiences. So many of us bear the wounds and the, the bitter taste in our mouth from bad experiences with religion and religious people that when we look, we look at the church, we don't feel about it the same way we do about organizations that are so obviously doing good. And we're so afraid that if we get too big, it's just going to cause more damage, right? But that's not what God created the church to be. Part of our goal at Mosaic is we want to transform people's experience of church, of what it means to be Christian, um, as the physical embodiment of the local presence of God, of the endlessly loving and compassionate God, the church should be the greatest source of good on the planet. And so our vision, honestly, as a church, is in addition to multiplying, we want to, by the way, we want to plant uh, two churches in our first five years. Um, we want to be about raising people up and sending them out. There's going to be a day, and multiple days, when we're going to be like, hey, go. If you feel God, this is a church that we're sending out. This is a new group of people. They need team members. They need people to invest and serve go, right, because it's not about us. That day is going to come. Um, we want to be a church that, that develops a reputation in the community for how selflessly we serve our city. Um, we, wanna, we want people to look and be like, wow, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what it is about those people, but they, they serve. They serve. We want to be a church that runs to where the needs are. And so being a part of a Mosaic, to be honest, is, is part of the call. Just so you know, part of being an insider at Mosaic is, is, is being all about the outsider. And we will, we, will, we will go to whatever end possible to create spaces where those who desperately need to experience the love of Jesus Christ can come and experience that. Like we will funnel resources and, and pull together creatively to meet the tangible needs of our city 
and we will do everything we can to run to where those needs are. We are to be a people moved by the wind, moved by God's Spirit. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like to together to reclaim and live out with the movement of Jesus what it, what it was meant to be? Right? A church that's less like a museum and more like a hospital. Less like an exclusive country club and more like a band of revolutionary misfits. Less like a classroom of seminary students and more like a community of prophets and professional lovers. Can you imagine what it would be like five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now for people to look at Mosaic and be like, you know what? Those people bear the calluses of loving our city with their hands. That church has the dirt of our city underneath its fingernails. And I don't know if I, I believe everything they believe, but I know this. I know that our city is better for them having been there. I know that they are for me. That is a witness that can't be ignored. That is what it means to be the hands of Jesus, to be a people of the wind. And that is why for us, unapologetically, a mission is why the church exists. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to personally repent for all the junk that gets in the way of us selflessly loving and serving you. And in my life, for the junk that I allow to the personal agendas and the waste of time, the things that serve us and our own things that make us feel good about ourselves. And God, we just lay that down before your feet. And we come before you as, as, as broken, ordinary people who want to live lives characterized by extraordinary love. Father God, we pray with boldness and desperation, Father God, that you would transform our hearts because in each one of us is this propensity to serve ourselves. This morning, Father God, we just come before you and, and ask the question of ourselves, are we living for ourselves or are we selflessly living for others? And Father God, we, we just say before you that we desire to be a people who live for others. Father God, we ask that you would multiply what you're doing in this church for the sake of other people. God, that you would raise up men and women in this church who want nothing else but to serve other people and to introduce you to them and them to you. Father God, we ask that you would transform our hearts, that you would continue to open up opportunities for us to selflessly serve this city, and that supernaturally you would provide us with the means to step into those needs. And God, we trust that you're going to do exactly that. Father God, may we be a people moved by the wind, a people of the Spirit, a people filled with your love and your compassion. Father God, we pray with expectation for the future leaders of this church that do not yet know Christ. That's an exciting thought. God, open our eyes to the people all around us, at our jobs, on our streets, in our classrooms, the people all around us who are hurting more than they let on. Help us to be honest about ourselves and to take an interest in the lives of those around us. Help us to love well, Father. God, we love you. 
And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.